This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. I'm Cecilia Lay, and this is Fifth and Mission. A couple weeks ago, the city of Oakland voted to boost alternatives to policing in its budget. For many, it was a win in the pathway to police reform. Cities like Oakland and San Francisco have placed the Bay Area in the national conversation around policing. But what about other Bay Area cities, including suburbs? At the end of 2020, a year that was defined by Black Lives Matter and defund the police movements across the country, one case helped spotlight police reform in Antioch, a suburb about 30 miles northeast of Oakland. On December 23rd, a 30-year-old Filipino-American named Angelo Quinto was having a mental health crisis. So his sister called 911 for help. When police arrived, they handcuffed Angelo, a U.S. Navy veteran, and restrained him on the floor of his mother's bedroom. The family says an officer pinned his neck with a knee for nearly five minutes. Here's Angelo's mother, Cassandra Quinto Collins, speaking at a press conference the family held in February. How in a matter of minutes, I went from hugging him to watching his lifeless body on the floor. The Antioch Police Department said otherwise. Here's Chief Tammany Brooks. According to the results of a preliminary investigation, at one point during the handcuffing, an officer did briefly for a few seconds, have a knee across the portion of Angelo's shoulder blade, which is a common control technique taught at California post-approved police academies for prone handcuffing. At no point did any officer use a knee or other body part to gain leverage or apply pressure to Angelo's head, neck, or throat, which is outside of our policy and training. Angelo was carried out by paramedics. He died three days later in the intensive care unit. Chronicle reporter Rachel Swan has been following Angela Quinto's case from the beginning. She joins me now to discuss the progress of police reforms in cities like Antioch across the Bay Area, where justice for families and transparency to the public has been more muted. Rachel, how did Angela Quinto's death prompt change in Antioch? You know, I mean... This actually turned out to be a pretty major catalyst in the city of Antioch. Angelo Quinto, um, he he died in December, um, and the police didn't release details or even disclose his death for nearly a month. So there was, you know, this whole period of silence around it. Um, but then... Um, once a civil rights attorney got involved, John, John Burris, and, you know, publicized these details about his death and the family went forward, I mean, there was just a lot of outrage. Part of that was just because of um, some of the circumstances around his death in some ways hearkened to George Floyd. I don't 
because we don't really have visual documentation, I don't want to say they were exactly the same, mm-hmm. but um, he was restrained and there were, there are allegations that there were like an officer with a knee pressed to his neck. So, I mean, that was definitely part of it, the timing and, you know, the emotions still uh, lingering from George Floyd. And what did the city of Antioch do to respond to some of these outcries for change in the police department? The mayor, Lamar Thorpe, who had who had basically run on this campaign to reform the police, that was like a large part of his platform, he called a special meeting and Antioch made these um, series of changes that actually, so like, if you live in, um, I guess, what, what what we might consider a more um, progressive city, like Oakland or San Francisco, it was stuff that maybe had happened, like, way, you know, they, they'd seen modest, like, modest reforms. Mm-hmm. Um, for instance, Antioch didn't even have body cameras yet for its police officers or, um, you know, a any kind of, like, police commission, like, oversight review. And really, as far... From what I understand, they've actually moved forward with a contract for body cameras. Um, so this is stuff that, like, one could argue they were years behind on. Um, but this kind of, like, pushed them over the edge. And they they got those reforms going pretty quick. That seems like a step in terms of progress. But what is Angelo's family saying now? I know you recently attended the memorial service for Angela Quinto and you spoke with them. What do they? What are they saying about the city's response? They're incredibly frustrated, Cecilia. And I mean, a lot of that is it's been about six months since his death, and the city still hasn't released um, medical examiner's reports or um, a cause of death. You know, so there's these big looming questions that are still unanswered. So I mean, when talking to Angelo's family, I mean, what they keep saying is, well, we know what happened, but we don't have an official statement about what happened. And all of the statements from the police departments have basically been, you know, justifying their own actions. So they feel that there's um, a lot of questions that are left unanswered that should have been answered by now. And as someone who reports on police reform, does that pace of six, seven months after Angelo's death, does that seem slow compared to what has happened in other cities in the Bay Area? You know, I mean, it would seem slow in comparison to, again, Oakland and San Francisco. Mm -hmm. But um, I looked closely for, I mean, one other case I've looked closely at is the case of Latimer Arboleda in Danville, which is also a suburb. And in that case, it took nine months or so to release a lot of information um, about this man's death, you know, including the cause of death. And I mean, it took them a year, I believe, to release a video, the body camera worn video, you know, whereas like in cities across the country, we're seeing body camera vi- video released within a day. Mm-hmm. Um, so ostensibly like six months. Yeah, it's it seems slow. I mean, it, the sheriff's department is saying like, oh, it's still under review. But in comparison to other departments, it seems slow. And you've looked at some data that compares some of the response from local law enforcement agencies. Is this a trend where there is this big difference between how suburbs respond versus cities like San Francisco and Oakland, like you mentioned? Yeah, it really it really seems that way. I mean, you know, um, I guess the, the one thing I, I would be um, careful about is like some 
what we're calling suburbs, because we're basically calling everything except for the three major cities, Oakland, San Francisco, San Jose suburbs. So, mm-hmm. I mean, there are places like Berkeley and Richmond that have really accelerated reforms in the past few years. And Berkeley's kind of always been a more progressive city. But places like Danville, um, they've had two killings by the same officer. Um, that officer is still employed by the sheriff's department, which contracts with the city. Um so, you know, he's he's on administrative leave, but he's still an employee of theirs, even though he's being prosecuted in one of the murders, you know. And we found, you know, Daly City and Antioch had these very high profile killings. They didn't have body cameras. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in Alameda, Mario Gonzalez, um, the city, its initial press release about his death called it a medical emergency. Um, so, yeah, we're, we're finding... Um, different examples of they're just not being the same level of scrutiny or even the apparatus to deal with these. I'll call them deaths. Mm-hmm. And what are the reasons for that? I mean, is it because major metropolitan cities are subject to large, visible protests that get a lot of media attention and potential political fallout? What are some of the reasons maybe experts you talk to are saying? So I've heard a lot of theories about this. I mean. You know, one one really kind of uh, more obvious thing is cities like Oakland and San Francisco have had a lot of federal oversight over the years. So, I mean, they've had their fair share of problems, clearly, that led to that. But, I mean, you know, Oakland has been under federal oversight for 18 years. Um, I mean, you also see San Francisco has a very progressive district attorney now. I mean, so there's a lot of there's an arm in the district attorney's office that is, you know, specifically investigating uh, officer-involved killings. Some of these places are just more conservative mm-hmm. um, politically. Uh, they're they're not going to be subject to um, political backlash from residents. Um, you know, in Danville, I mean, I I went to a march after the shooting of Tyrell Wilson in in March and. Um, you know, there there was like what appeared to be like the first Black Lives Matter march that maybe the city had ever seen. And the police presence outnumbered the uh, marchers by like three to one or something. And mm. there were hecklers on the street. And it just was kind of a different experience than you'd have in like Oakland or San Francisco, where it's just more common to have protests. I mean, one other theory I've heard, um, this is from attorney John Burris. I mean, he pointed to some of the demographic shifts that we're seeing in the Bay Area where we are seeing um, the black population get priced out of the cities and move to the suburbs. Um, He did believe that perhaps, you know, because of unconscious bias in police forces, that may be causing there may be a correlation between that and, you know, increased shootings. Um, Mm. That was a theory that. I have not seen proven yet, but it was an interesting conjecture. We'll be right back. You can support Fifth Emission and the newsroom that creates it by signing up for unlimited access at sfchronicle.com slash pod or by downloading the San Francisco Chronicle app. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it... <clears throat> a real POS. You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. 
Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Sort of the racial reckoning we saw happen last year and this tide of change, does it seem like that cultural change has just been slower to move to suburbs as opposed to these major cities? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, what was interesting about the you know, uprisings we had last year in the Bay Area. I mean, you know, Oakland and San Francisco, like, they had, um, they, they've they had this type of, like, resistance culture a lot more for a long time. And I mean, I, I feel like just as a reporter, last time was the first time I started seeing these kinds of actions in places like Walnut Creek, mm-hmm. you know, or... Um, not even Danville yet at that point, but Antioch, you know? Um, so it's been slower to come to the suburbs. It's starting to come to the suburbs. Um, the suburbs are growing. Antioch is particularly interesting because they've had this real, they have like a majority black council as of the last election and they have a this real political shift. Mm-hmm. And so it seems like a lot of reforms are starting to happen there that, you know, the city is kind of a wake up cry for the city in a way, you know? And do the residents of Antioch seem amenable or willing to move in this direction following sort of suit of major cities? You know, it's really interesting, Cecilia. It's a kind of a mixed bag. I mean, there is like like Antioch in the last 20 years has become this really pretty diverse city. Um, the black population has doubled. There's a Filipino population. There's a large Latinx population. So, I mean, the city that, like, maybe in the 70s was kind of, like, um, a lot of a, a working-class white people who worked in kind of the, the factories there um, along the Delta. Um, now it's, it's really kind of mixed, but it's also got this kind of old guard culture that's really more conservative and even Blue Lives Matter and mm-hmm. people call in and they say very, very disparaging things about the, quote-unquote, like, new residents um, that I don't want to repeat, but so it's really, um, in some ways it's a city at war with itself, you know, Mm -hmm. but you have the leadership that is really, um, taking the lead on like, no, we want to see, we want to see a different kind of law enforcement here. So it's really an interesting time for Antioch. Yeah. And of course, Bay area demographics have shifted so dramatically with suburbs seeing an increase of different populations moving in. So we know that response and action can vary by local jurisdiction, but are there things that the state of California can do to sort of ensure that there's a response across? Yeah, absolutely. And um, they're starting to do that. In some in some ways, the state is ahead of the cities. Um, and the, the biggest example of that is the, the Miles Hall Lifeline Act, which is sponsored by um, Assembly Member Rebecca Bauer uh, Cahan um, in the Tri Valley, so she represents the Contra Costa area. Um, but it's really been pushed forward by Miles Miles Hall's family, and he was shot and killed by a police officer during a mental health episode in, in 2019. Um, this would really be a game changer. It's it's a utility fee on phones similar to the one that currently funds 911, and it would essentially fund like a parallel 911 system for mental health response. Um, throughout the state uh, called 988. So if this works, it would be um, a really, really huge. You know, they'd be able to dispatch like 
social workers to nine, you know, any any kind of emergency call related to mental health. And I wonder for you, like covering Angela Quinto's case specifically, what stood out to you about this one? You know, I, I mean, for me, I, I remember it because it was a Filipino-American family and it was a mental health crisis. And there's a lot of different elements for you. But you've continued to follow this. And why was that important for you? Um, I guess, like, for me, um, you know, looking at what's happening in Antioch was really, really interesting. Um, it also had echoes of this other case I followed with another Filipino man named Latimer Arboleda. So yeah, I mean, just like seeing that start to happen with multiple families. Um, also this is a family that kind of reflects the, um, migration trends that we're seeing now. Um, Angelo grew up in Berkeley, Mm. um, and his family ultimately resettled in Antioch. And, um, when I talked to the family after, the memorial, the the recent memorial, you know, they had like a little get together at their house. And like, that was like what was on everybody's minds was, you know, not necessarily this incident per se, but like just being a Filipino family in Antioch and listening to the response from, I guess you could say like the white population in Antioch and feeling like they were being described as, as newcomers or interlopers in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, it it was just like interesting how much um they reflected of like what what's going on so socially in the bay area right now right and and what's next for the family now that their son and their brother have has been finally laid to rest what are they asking for more accountability from the city more attention from the public what would they like to see happen next i mean i think they want acknowledgement you know i mean they want like they're never going to get closure because this is such an upsetting death, you know, but, um, I mean, they are also pushing legislation to help with mental health calls. They want a different response to mental health. Um, but they also just, they want something really basic. They want an official cause of death. They want, um, body worn cameras for officers. They want in general, they want like an acknowledgement of what happened to their son. Thank you, Rachel, so much for sharing your reporting and speaking about it with me today. Thank you so much, Cecilia. I really appreciate you having me on. The family of Angelo Quinto has filed a claim with the city of Antioch. The family's attorney, John Burris, says a lawsuit will be forthcoming in the next few weeks. Rachel Swan is an investigative reporter who covers criminal justice for The Chronicle. You can find her reporting about Angelo Quinto and police reform in Bay Area suburbs online now at sfchronicle.com and in the Chronicle app. Thank you to King Kaufman for producing this episode, and thanks to you for listening.